1: The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the International Women's Day conversation on breaking the gender bias in finance. I am Baba Kapasade, CEO of Toronto Centre. I was delighted to notice this morning that more than 460 people from 54 countries have registered for this event. Ranging all the way from Albania, Zimbabwe, many letters in between the US, the UK and countries in Africa, Asia, Latin America and the Caribbean. So welcome. Before we start, though, I would like to take a moment to support the people of Ukraine. We continue to be amazed by their resiliency and heroism. The vast majority of the more than two million people that have fled Ukraine are women and children the organization UN Women has called for solidarity with the women of Ukraine, who before the war were already burdened by the pandemic in one of Europe's poorest economies and are now in a catastrophic position after the invasion, one in which they could be more vulnerable to violence, abuse, and exploitation. Doing our part, Toronto Center is committed to supporting our colleagues at the National Bank of Ukraine. Please visit their website and check out their concrete request on how you can help the Ukrainian resistance. Thank you. Since establishment in 1998, Toronto Centre has trained more than 16,000 financial authorities from 190 jurisdictions to build more stable and inclusive financial systems. Access to finance is crucial to women's empowerment and women play an integral role in building strong and inclusive financial systems women's ability to save, borrow and control their own money and insure themselves and their assets is vital to their empowerment and poverty reduction, especially in developing countries. Unfortunately, almost 1 billion women worldwide do not have access to formal financial services, and they are the majority of the unbanked people. The pandemic, of course, has also exacerbated inequalities. Technological innovations such as digital payments have great potential for expanding financial services to excluded women in poor remote areas. However, the promise that FinTech holds for advancing gender equality will not happen on its own. Many stakeholders, including financial supervisors and regulators have a key role to play. That's why since 2015 Toronto Centre has organized scores of international events and courses On the intersection of gender equality and financial supervision we have also produced important publications such as our gender aware supervision toolkit which is a free resource for all today our distinguished speakers will discuss how to promote sustainable growth ensure consumer protection and break the bias in women's access to financial services they are Irene espinosa Cantelano, Deputy Governor, Central Bank of Mexico. Elsie Ado-Abadzi, Second Deputy Governor, Central Bank of Ghana and a member of Toronto Center's Banking Advisory Board. This session is moderated by Jennifer Long, a distinguished former UK financial supervisor with international experience. She's also a Toronto Centre program leader. Jennifer is also the author of the Gender Aware Toolkit for Supervisors that I mentioned earlier. You have received their bio. Also, would like to thank my staff, Patricia Vargas, Casey Edmonds, and Judy Shin, who worked so hard behind the scenes to make this event happen. Toronto Center's mission is generously supported by Global Affairs Canada, the Swedish CETA, the IMF, Jersey Overseas, and the UNCDF. Now, without further ado, I'm going to pass it to Jennifer. Enjoy the session. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Babak. So the organizers of International Women's Day have set us a challenge this year, and they asked us, how will you rally your community to help forge women's equality and break the bias? So in this panel, we are going to focus on the distinctive contribution that our community of banks, central banks and supervisors can play in tackling the biases and inequalities that we find in the financial services sector and on how allies can support supervisors in that effort. In doing so, we're going to draw on the lived experiences of our eminent panelists as female leaders and their insights into the efforts in their own countries and internationally to address the gender gap in financial services. And once we've heard some of their thoughts, we really want to hear your questions and comments. So please post your questions in either English or Spanish in the Q&A function and we'll come to those a bit later. But let's start by thinking about where central banks and supervisors can make a difference. So Elsie, if if we can kick off, according to the 2017 Global Findex, the gender gap in access to finance is still 9% in developing economies. So can supervisors play a role in reducing this gap?
3: Thank you, Jennifer. Let me say happy International Women's Day. Uh, although belatedly to everyone, to the panelists, to the participants, and i like to think of March as, as a woman's March, uh, month, and therefore, uh, I believe that it's still uh, a good idea to celebrate each other while we think of uh, ways in which we can move the needle even closer to where we want to go. Um, yes, the, the gender gap in access to finance um, has persisted at 9% actually since 2011 and we fear that with the onset of the pandemic and what it's done particularly to women in terms of the economic impact this number could actually be worse but we don't we just don't have the hard figures right now but i feel like regulators and supervisors um, have a very important role to play and um, quite a singular role to play first of all we do license financial services providers that's where it all starts we give them a license for a reason And I find that when you get into supervision, it's actually very difficult sometimes for you to remember the reason why you issued that license. You get caught up in safety and soundness, uh, wanting to make sure that the books are looking good, wanting to make sure that they're out of trouble uh, without necessarily thinking of the fact that they actually probably are looking good and they're they're safe and sound, but are actually not intermediating okay and in ways that are adding value to the economy so one of the first things that regulators and supervisors must do is to ask themselves very hard questions how do we balance safety and soundness Mm -hmm. with the real reason why we license these these institutions Um, and i find that um, whether you're looking at the rules of the game or you're looking at the approaches by which you actually supervise these institutions, um, you're going to have to make a conscious effort. And so the uh, gender-mindedness and the gender-aware approach is very critical from A to Z across the entire value chain. Uh, I find that one of the key ways in which regulators and supervisors can make a a practical impact is to start with data. Mm -hmm. Data. And it sounds very easy, but it's also one of the most difficult things to do, getting data in a granular way that allows you to understand how things may be looking good but not actually looking so good when you dissect it in the ways in which you should. i give you an example. Uh, in Ghana, and in, in much of the developing world, women tend to be um, you know, the most entrepreneurs when you look at uh, micro, small, and medium-sized businesses. Uh, in Ghana, it's put at around 44% of all MSMEs. Uh, in some countries, it's more. Uh, but if you find if you get into a situation where women are lagging behind in access to finance, and we're expecting MSMEs to drive uh, economic growth in Ghana, about seventy percent of our GDP uh, is driven by MSME. If women don't have access to critical um, finance, how are they going to then uh, be a real contributor? To economic development. Um, and so it's important to dissect the numbers. The loan book looks good. Uh, they're providing loans. Um, they're providing access to savings accounts. They're providing insurance services. But how many of these are going to women? How many of these are going to men? It's, it takes a lot for supervisors to invest in infrastructure that mm-hmm. makes it possible. And we, for example, have invested in a subtech um, that allows us to, that allows us To now uh, collect data at a very granular level uh, when it comes to every product and every service that a bank uh, or other financial institution we regulate is is collecting. Um, And then we need to get down to complaints. That's the consumer protection angle. uh, Or the complaints that have been received uh, on financial service providers. How many of these are complaints about women, from women? Um, And versus from men uh, and and, and other demographics and why Uh, we need to understand that when it comes to MPLs, uh, one of the easy ways I I believe very firmly in in engaging with the service providers, because when you look at, for example, MPL numbers, how many of these are attributable to women versus men. You will be surprised. Very few of these are attributed to women, and yet banks and other financial institutions continue to think of women as a risky sort of market, you know. Uh, and so, uh, data is critical uh, across the value chain in terms of making an impact as a regulator or a supervisor, and and having some very uh, difficult conversations with the service providers. And then also, the regulatory regime must uh, be it, must enable innovation. Uh, Babak mentioned um, uh, technologically based financial services that is really uh, becoming a key game changer for financial inclusion. Women everywhere in most parts of the developing world um, have access to a mobile phone on which they can get some very critical financial services these days. But that requires a lot to go into an enabling regulatory environment that allows um, entrants that are traditionally not allowed into the payments uh, ecosystem, Mm -hmm. fintechs for example, um, to then play a key role in enabling innovation, in enabling um, access, access that is affordable, access that is meaningful, Uh, Mm -hmm. especially to women, and and, um, I find that it takes a lot to calibrate a regulatory regime that allows you to promote safety and soundness in the financial system, as well as inclusion uh, and integrity. Um, And so these are some of the um, key things I wanted to talk about. I do have a lot to say on this, uh, (laughs) but I'll start with this and I'll I'll
2: continue as well. Thank you, Elsie. That's that's really whetted our appetite to to hear a bit more about about those different themes that you've you've unpacked for us there. But really interesting that you mentioned about the, the, the need for us to think about and balance different parts of our regulatory objective and how we can build gender in there using this data um, so, and so and the data is often the really unglamorous but important bit isn't it that we we might tend to forget about because you know it's not that sexy uh but you just you as you just mentioned it's it's kind of really important so we, we'll come and hear about that a little bit later but I, i'd like to turn to ren first and, and 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 think about a different aspect of um, gender equality, perhaps. So we, we, we think about um, financial access to financial services, but as we know, the UN in their sustainable development goal on gender equality, they also focus on women's participation in leadership and in decision-making. And I'm really interested in your perspective on whether that's an area where as central bankers and as financial supervisors, we can make a difference.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. And first of all, I also would like to thank for the invitation for sharing this wonderful panel with Elsie and with you, Jennifer. And it's a pleasure to celebrate Women's International Women's Day and, and have this conversation and share some of, of our views. So definitely, I think, of course, supervisors and financial authorities, we have a huge role to play in terms of Uh, promoting the access of women to leadership and decision-making positions. Um, I think it it is clear that in labor market, most of the participation of women is much more on the operational level, and then access in in going up the ladder is is every time uh, narrower. So it is really important to, as Elsie mentioned, to be active and very Um, aware of consciously uh, promoting this kind of of, uh, initiatives to to promote the the access of women to leadership uh, positions. So in in the financial sector, this is even worse. If we talk about uh, supervisors and financial authorities, but also, as you mentioned, in terms of access of women to financial products. So I think now more than ever, uh, supervisors have a, a key role to play in terms of uh, making decisive actions uh, towards uh, gender, uh, closing the gender gap. Now, um, let me share with you in the case of Mexico, we don't have a mandatory quota or any, any legal uh, enforcement uh, to promote this, this type of policies. But I think there are very valuable voluntary initiatives that are very good. And also especially having these kind of spaces and dialogue to share experiences is very important. So I think the political part of approving a kind of legal enforcement is is beyond our our scope. But of course, we can do a lot. For example, in the case of Mexico, which just recently last year, there was a, a, a commitment or a memo of understanding uh, between the Ministry of Finance and the National Banking Association uh, to voluntarily reduce the gender gap in, in, in the financial and, and, and sector. So I think these type of things are um, affirmative actions that, that are very good. And it has a, a, a specific four goals, and it will be there um, a follow up and, and an evaluation process. So I think that that shows a, a very good example of how voluntary uh, schemes can be undertaken. Also, the UN Global Impact, the, the Mexico chapter and the UN uh, Women launched this target gender equality. Which is a very solid framework for um for helping companies that are listed in the in the Mexican stock exchange to facilitate and promote the analysis, capacity building, and uh, uh, the connection to a global network on gender equality. So I think those are are very good examples. but of course, it's it's very small. Uh, at this point for in Mexico, only 25 uh, companies that are listed in the stock exchange have uh, signed up for this program. So if you think about an economy and a country uh, of the size of Mexico, this is really very, very little uh, and, and we still have a lot to, to go on. So uh, let me now go to the uh, Banco de Mexico experience. Can you imagine that I stepped into Banco de Mexico in 2018, and I was, I had the honor to be the first woman on the board. And I I mean, I I had the honor because it was me, but on the other side, I really (coughs) regret that almost 100 years after the creation of the central bank, we just were starting to have women in the board. So this is really amazing being an in the 21st century and starting the conversation and mainly the conversation when when my appointment was like well this is the first woman and it's like there is a lot more to talk instead of just talking about the the being the first woman so but but this this really uh, gave me the opportunity to promote that with my colleagues and in within the bank this awareness and this this uh, a huge um, task to be a central bank that is um, uh, keen on uh, labor equality and non-discrimination in general. So uh, since then, we have been building uh, uh, a whole framework with uh, some very important pieces uh, to, to promote gender equality. And I think we have to to lead by example. And this is something that we have taken very seriously. Uh, we, the, the board um, did endorse a, a public commitment to uh, labor equality and non-discrimination as an institutional strate- strategic objective. This was something that had not happened before. And we started with a with a top-down um, uh, perspective to to really make a change in the culture and in the mentality in the bank uh, I, I, I think in the Mexican culture this, there is this, this hierarchical um, approach so starting by a, a commitment from the board of governors, I think this is a, was a very good start to make it, to make it happen. So, and, and then uh, part of this whole framework was to create a committee. So on one side, there was this commitment and with a top-down perspective, but on the other hand, uh, the board also created a committee which is inclusive in which uh, all of the administrative areas of the bank are involved and are participating and are, are represented. So I think uh, once you have the commitment, it is very important to have an action plan. We have an action plan with milestones, with uh, key performance indicators and accountability. I think those uh, four elements, the action plan, the milestones, the, the KPI and also uh, uh, accountability mechanisms are key for things um, to happen. So now uh, uh, what I can also share is that we um, also took an evaluation of an an external third party and we were evaluated by Economic Dividends for Gender Equality, H. And uh, we received the first uh, level of certification uh, in, in assess, but just a couple of weeks ago we were reevaluated and we reached the second level which is called move and we share that with only 88 uh, organizations in the world and only four in Mexico so uh, we, were the, <laughs> we were the we were the first central bank to be certified mm-hmm. by edge and and I think there is a lot of um, of progress, and and we are now at, at this point. Thank you very much.
2: So congratulations on the on the change, not only for your your appointment as the first female board member, but also on the change that you've helped to bring about uh, within the central bank. And and that is a really great example of not only the fact that we can make a difference in theory, but also that it's happening in in practice. Um, and uh, just making the connection back to some of the points that Elsie was talking about. Um, a really interesting thing um, that we've we've seen over the last couple of years is uh, an increasing amount of uh, research which shows the benefits in the financial sector. Uh, of having women and gender balanced boards um, and having a pipeline um, of staff in the senior management level to do to to succeed them and to and to join those ranks. Um, and we have seen also supervisory authorities starting to to do what Elsie was describing, actually bearing bringing that thinking to bear. In their scrutiny of firms and, and the composition of firms, regulated firms, uh, boards and senior management teams, and looking to see whether they have uh, a gender balance um, and, and initiatives to, to 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 sustain that gender balance on their board. So some really kind of inspiring to hear some, some real progress kind of being made there in Mexico. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of turn back to, to Elsie and also just to ask for your reflections. You, you gave us a really great list of things that we where we could make an impact. Uh, I guess the challenge we might face if we're in an authority starting to try and do something about that is it's quite a long shopping list. And where do I start? So what would you what would you see as some of the kind of key first steps that an authority could take to set in train some of the some some of the kind of um, uh, initiatives that you were talking about there?
3: Okay, well, First of all, uh, just to say congratulations to Irani. Mm -hmm. Um, I happen to be the second woman uh, appointed ever as deputy governor of the Bank of Ghana after 65 years. And I'd like to add that uh, it took 20 something years after the first one for me to get appointed. Um, And from from some of the things that Irani has said, it just shows you the power that uh, we bring to the table when women are in positions of influence, and um, as Jennifer was beginning to say, there are many things that we probably are not able to do formally, but there's also a lot of informal uh, power and influence that we can wield, and and for me, that's one of the key reasons that I I believe in in pushing this agenda as much as possible, Uh, but what are some of the low-hanging fruit, Jennifer? Um, So, every supervisory authority has rules that they comply with. I mean, they enforce. For example, when it comes to rules that have to do with the fit and uh, improper tests that you subject uh, bank uh, boards or key management personnel to, these are already there. You, you, In many jurisdictions, you hardly find anything saying, well, there's got to be a quota for women or not. But a supervisor, it, it requires training. Uh, and it can be that we give training to supervisors working in our institutions so that they have a gender lens when they're looking at fit and proper uh, tests. Um, If if you get a board full of men, uh, uh, frankly, uh, what kind of governance are you practicing in today's day and age? Uh, And so the supervisor must be trained to ask very difficult questions, very pertinent questions, and say, well, what's going on? (laughs) Where are all these men on the boards? Where are the women on your boards? Uh, When it comes to key management personnel, um, they need to be asking those questions as well. And and one thing we're beginning to see is that uh, the work environments uh, are not working uh, for many women, especially as they move up the ladder. So you're seeing a lot of turnover. Uh, And when you look at the numbers, you see more women leave banks and other financial institutions, especially as they start building their families, um, you know, raising children. They can keep up with late hours. They can keep up with targets. Uh, You need to raise, you need to come back with so much money uh, with new accounts every month. The means you know going out you know for dinner or drinks with someone to get a corporate account you know so you're finding many women getting out and ultimately these also affect the safety and soundness of these institutions so it comes down to the business model uh, and how supervisors can begin to have conversations uh, with financial institutions about how do you change your business models that in a way that is responsive to gender, um, not for the sake of women per se, but for the sake of the institution, uh, and the, for the for the sake of the of the of the ecosystem. And so that's one very key thing that I think uh, we can do. Um, also, uh, as Irene said, we have launched a sustainable banking uh, you know framework, uh, which we actually partnered with the Bankers Association to launch. And so banks are required to comply um, on a voluntary basis. And so it's compliant or, 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 or explained, but somehow all the banks in Ghana have signed off um, and their CEOs have signed a pact to say, we're going along with these ESG principles that clearly include a, a principle on gender equity, not only in the bank's internal operations, but also in their dealings with the market uh, and therefore in provision of savings accounts and loan accounts and all of that. Um, as well as a clear principle on financial and inclusion as well. But we haven't stopped there. We have developed a reporting template that requires them to report to us on a quarterly basis. And we're going to soon be publishing these results. Uh, and so banks will then have to you know, explain to the public, well, why are we not doing so well on gender equity and, and all of that? So that's one easy way. We didn't have to go to parliament or anything for this. Um, this is something we came up with. And because of the approach we adopted, it was very easy for the banks themselves to see the business case in it. One of the other things we've done as a regulator, uh, in addition to creating uh, uh, an enabling regulatory environment, is to um, also make sure that the infrastructure that we put in place to support the credit market uh, is enabling of access to finance for women. And so very simple things like uh, making sure there's a credit bureau system in place, a credit reference bureau system. We know that traditionally women are good borrowers, and when they borrow, they're likely to pay back their loans. If you have a credit bureau system that keeps track of borrowing behavior, uh, very quickly, these women are going to build a good credit history. now more and more women, especially in the, in the micro and small business sector are borrowing um, on, you know, on their phones, for example. These are small loans whose um, credit scoring algorithms tended not to be linked to the more formal and traditional credit bureau system. And so we began to find ways of bridging the two because what was happening was that the woman was paying back her loan every day Uh, from a mobile money operator uh, partnering with a bank or savings and loans company. But that system was different from the system that uh, existed, you know, the credit reporting system that existed for for big loans. Uh, And so while she was building a credit history here, she was not going to take advantage uh, of the credit bureau system uh, if she wanted a bigger loan from a bank, for example. And so we've had to find ways of bridging those two systems, so that the quick scoring, uh, credit scoring systems that are being driven by fintechs for small, micro, and small loans are integrated with the bigger credit bureau uh, reporting um, database, so that women are able to migrate from micro loans and small loans to some bigger loans as their businesses grow. Um, and and then we also launched a credit. Um, a collateral registry um, a few years ago um, that accepts registration of collateral um, on both immovable and movable assets. This is a game changer for women because most uh, financial institutions wouldn't give out a loan without collateral. Um, and most of the collateral they had insisted on previously was landed property, okay? a piece of land or a house. Women hardly had that. You know,, uh, and so by creating an infra- a piece of infrastructure that allows women to borrow um, allows banks and other um other other lenders to accept movables, but in a way that protects their interest, uh, then promoted more access to credit for women. and we're able to track the numbers there as well. How many more women are getting loans every? every year versus how many more men and so that's also been very helpful um and then we were using a lot of our moral suasion i personally talking with bank our ceos and chairs about the need to provide specific products for the women market and the women market is not this one homogeneous market Uh, it's got many pieces to it so taking the time again using data to understand the dynamics of the women market. It's a big market, you know, uh, and, and and making sure that there's an ample supply of effective products and services for each segment of that market. Uh, and, and, and the, the moral suasion goes a long way. It's something that as supervisors and regulators, we should not underestimate. Once you set the expectation, they follow. They know totally what it is you're expecting of them. It's not written in any rule book, but they respond, and so uh, that's quite encouraging. I find. Thank you,
2: Elsie. That's really uh, that, that's really helpful, and you've given us again a huge amount of food for thought there. Um, maybe just a bit of um, good news again for, for for colleagues in our audience who may be listening to to all these initiatives that you've that you've mentioned and and thinking about. Well, how do I start to do that? Um, some of the precisely some of the measures that you talked about, we um, included in the Toronto Centre Gender Aware Supervision Toolkit that Babak was mentioning earlier. So, for example, for, for supervisory authorities that want to start taking kind of steps that you've talked about, thinking about how to build in a consideration of the composition of a board, whether you've got the right uh, gender balance, fitness and propriety, some tools for supervisors to use uh, in doing that. But also, I think you've given us there a very powerful illustration of what supervisors, again, can start to do once they've uh, understood from using the data that they need to think in a deliberate way about whether the markets are working for women or not. Um, And again, I'm interested then uh, sort of thinking about Irene, who's been through this challenge, I guess, also of, of starting getting an institution and a market to start to think about the specific position of women uh, and and what we might need to do to change that. Um, What are you seeing as as the sort of current challenges for women in Mexico as we come out of the pandemic um, and we think about what we want to do next uh, in terms of enhancing gender equality in the financial sector? Uh,
1: Thank you, Jennifer. I think this is a a key um, question for us as supervisors and and authorities. Um, In the case of Mexico, I think it is important to mention that there is really very, very low um, access to financial um, services. Um, There is, and especially for women. So there are huge uh, challenges that that, um, women are facing. Uh, first of all, um, going back to what Elsie was talking about is uh, the, the provision of formal products and services that best suit uh, women's needs. Uh, I, we have very standard and, and very um, classic um, financial instruments. And I think um, there are clear reasons why, why women are underserved for example, the issue of collaterals, and also of the specific needs of the payment schemes of of women in terms of the borrowing. So tailoring uh, products for for specific for women is, is one of the huge challenges. And commercial banks are really huge elephants. So to move them to this very innovative um, scheme is is sometimes also very, um, very difficult. Now, uh, another huge challenge is um, the gap in economic and financial skills between men and women. There is really a a very high attrition of girls uh, from basic education. So this really leads to, to women to lack to a lack of, of uh, capacities in, in, in terms of financial and economic decisions. And of course this hinders their access to, to uh, well-paid jobs and, and they are uh, much more in the informal sector which really will affect their uh, potential wealth. Um, now, another uh, huge challenge is um, migration and connectivity. Uh, there, there are uh, many um, rural areas and very uh, far areas which are under pressure because of the mi- migration of men. And so many women stay there with their children, but there is there are no services of connectivity. So as long as there is no connectivity, it doesn't matter if they, if they are women, they are alone in their towns or, or so on it is very difficult to to bring in um, some financial services. And um, I I guess uh, that also in Ghana, but in in general in the developing world, we have a problem with uh, identification documents of people. Um, A study in 2017 estimated that a trillion of people around the world we're still tr- struggling to prove their identity, and um, if at least forty-four percent of women in Mexico do not have uh, an, an ID document. So this is really a, a huge barrier for them to ask to to access. Um, and of course, uh, what uh, Elsie was also talking about, uh, there are stereotypes in which women bear most of the care responsibilities of children and also of elderly or of uh, sick people. So, uh, and also the secondary role in decision-making in the the households uh, really limits the capacity of women to have some assets uh, uh, over their active and economic life. So um, I think uh, these are huge challenges but of course, um, the, after the the pandemic, we have a huge opportunity also to to really build back and to have an inclusive um, and sustainable uh, economic and financial scheme for growth. And mm-hmm. we have also to to be innovative. Um, so, for example, we I, I think that. Um, Social and gender bonds are uh, a very um, potent and, and and very strong instrument to promote um, gender inclusion in in the financial service, and um, and also if in Mexico uh, last year we issued um, there was this. Um, um, it a trust fund, an agricultural trust fund that issued this um, uh, gender bond uh, and they leveraged 150 million US dollars. It had uh, four times demand and, and and the conditions were very, very good. So I think there is appetite for these type of, of um, instruments, mainly because they are a very... Um, very well rated because women are very good at paying back mm-hmm. and so on and and so we we have to be very uh aware and start promoting um uh um the the culture of business with a gender perspective
2: mm-hmm. Thank you, um, Irene. So, so I, I want to come to, to to Elsie and follow up on some of those thoughts in a moment. But uh, just a reminder before I do that that um, we are we're going to be taking questions from our audience in a moment. There are some already appearing, but if you have one, now's the time to put it in the Q and A uh, function so that we can we can feed it in. Um, but but Elsie, before we before we do that, I just wanted to to come to you and and what we heard there from Irene, I think, is about we have both um, challenges, obviously at the moment, huge challenges, but also there are opportunities to start to do things differently. But also that I guess, you know, as supervisory authorities, we can't do everything by ourselves. But we're fortunate that we have many stakeholders and allies out there that are looking to help us and the support of international organizations. And I'm really interested in your perspective on what those um, international organizations and our other allies can do to help us, the supervisory authorities, capitalize on the opportunities in the period ahead?
3: Right, thank you. So um, this is a big one because, um, and things are changing, but traditionally, if you took, say, the IMF uh, and the standard setting bodies, like the Basel Committee and, and all of that, it was all about safety and soundness and, and stability, right? Um, And so there wasn't much thought to inclusion, you know, and and sometimes the trade-offs, you know, the policy trade-offs with guidance on how to manage those trade-offs. But things have changed. Things are changing very fast. So we're finding the IMF talk about gender. We're finding, you know, the Basel Committee talk about inclusion, you know, um, and and trade-offs and all of that stuff. We're finding the Financial Stability Institute talk about inclusion, the BIS talk about inclusion, and all of them are providing fora like this uh, for for conversations to be had by all stakeholder groups and and experiences shared so that uh, there is some sort of convergence towards the idea that inclusion has become a necessary part of a regulator and a supervisor's work. So that's been very helpful. Um, More needs to be done in terms of guidance. and that is also happening. For example, uh, we in Ghana, and I think Mexico as well, we're part of the Basel Consultative Group uh, that is, um, is helping to work out things like, how do, you, how do you calibrate proportionality you know, in setting up rules or in adopting supervisory approaches uh, in a way that allows you to meet your multiple policy objectives, including inclusion. And, and even gender specific inclusion. Um, and so that, that, that work has started, and it will be good to get a lot more of that. Uh, I must say that uh, the Toronto Centre has been very great in doing that as well. It's taken It took an early interest in promoting gender as, as a key issue in supervision. And that was quite bold, because lots of people are talking about it, and it's kind of still on the fringes. You know, uh, like, you know, when you want to be nice and good, you can touch on that from time to time. But the Turner Centre is mainstreaming that, and it's not just talking about it, but it's actually raising uh, a caterer of supervisors um, that are beginning to get aware, gender aware, and and learn tools to incorporate in the way they do their work. So, for example, the, uh, I think it's called the Women's Leadership Programme. the the Toronto Centre's Women's Leadership Program. I've spoken uh, at at that program before, uh, encouraging attendees of the program for Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, That is, is customized to um, train women in in supervisory roles uh, in central banks and and the like, in terms of how they can use their power and privilege as individuals uh, to make a change uh, in promoting gender awareness in in supervision, so I think that's fantastic. The um, Women's World Banking um, uh, partnering with the Alliance for Financial Inclusion and Oxford University also have a a fantastic program called the Leadership and Mm -hmm. and Diversity Program, also aimed at training women uh, in supervisory organizations and regulatory organizations to Mm -hmm. incorporate gender as a key uh, aspect of of this advisory work. So I think all of these are are working great. Um, uh, The Alliance of Financial Inclusion has the Gender Inclusive Mm -hmm. Finance Committee, which I happen to chair, uh, which really provides thought leadership across Mm -hmm. the uh, the 100-member network of AFI uh, in terms of really how do you take practical steps? A lot of the things we've been talking about today how do you make that practical and how do you get results out of that? So that work is going on and obviously more needs to be done, Uh, more needs to be encouraged. Thank you.
2: That's really helpful. And I I, am taking a theme here from what you're saying, Elsie, that that these different bodies are now at the stage of moving to more action, less, not just the talk, which is important, but also, also the action and that concept of mainstreaming, of building gender into what we're doing day to day. Uh, which is really helpful. But I've been reflecting as well on some of the comments and, and questions that we've been receiving um, from, from our audience as they've been listening to you. And it's really interesting there, are there I guess there's the there's a technical type questions and then there's perhaps the more personal type questions. And we had a comment um, about, the fact that it's really inspirational to listen to you as women leaders for people that might aspire to be that one day themselves. And before we come to some of the technical questions, which I I will do in a moment, um, I wondered, um, Irene, if if you might have some reflections to share about things that have helped you on your path to becoming a senior leader in the financial industry um, and and tips that you would give to uh, colleagues who hope to be in your shoes one day in the future. Thank you. Um, I think it would be very ambitious
1: to talk about advice, (laughs) but I can, of course, share my my experience. I think uh, for me, it has been key to have, I have had most, only one woman uh, boss, and my male bosses have been very, very supportive of me, of giving me, every time more responsibilities but i think this this really doesn't come free it's 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 not only because of they are really good persons but it's it's also because you need to have a hard work to be very transparent to have a good communication to speak up to say what you really think what you really aspire Um, women tend not to have this very strategic um, mindset. And it really took me a long time to to be, I I wouldn't say strategic, but to raise my hand and say, I would like to go to this position. And I'm interested in that. And as um, uh, if there is an opportunity, I would love to be supported by you for for that position. And I think that was really for me a turning point in terms of really understanding that you have to be confident and that you have to work hard. But you have also to to have a very good communication and and let other people's know what you are thinking and aspiring.
2: Thank you. I'm writing notes here, Irene. I I shall remember that that advice myself, Um, but but I'm also interested in in hearing from from Elsie about um, experiences that she would like to to pass on and encourage to to people that might want to, again, become a, uh, a deputy governor or governor one day. Thank
3: you so much, and um, I share very much in all of what Irani has said. I mean, those would be my own experiences mm-hmm. as well. But th- just to add that, I think often as women, uh, we need to make a very conscious effort to believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have grown up with all sorts of, of, of biases, even against ourselves. We, we ourselves have been biased about what we can do and what we cannot do because we haven't seen faces. We haven't seen a lot of women represented in the areas that we may have dreamt about and so really reminding ourselves that we're enough we've got everything that it takes what is left then is as she said is to have a plan have 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 your dreams and have a plan and it's totally okay to dream about being the governor uh being the president of the country being everything and, but just don't stop there. You've got to actually actively inquire about what does it take to get there. Not only in terms of qualification, academic qualifications, but also experience and be flexible, because you're going to need a whole wide range of skills and, and experiences to be able to get there. And so wherever you are, make the most of it, because you never know where that's going to take you in future. I always say that. Um, and then the, the men are going to be some of your greatest allies so don't don't forget about them but also build relationships with other women uh, it's often said that women can't work work together i i don't buy that um of course you can't expect everyone just to be there for you you have to actively cultivate relationships but it's very helpful to get mentoring relationships and coaching relationships find a mentor find a coach <clears throat> find someone and ask them how did you get there i mean how did you deal with balancing work with family? Uh, how did you deal with a boss who didn't want to give you opportunities? How, how did you manage that in, in a way that was positive? You know, um, So you've got to do the work. You've got to invest in the relationships and, and keep your eye on the ball. And one last thing is it's not going to be easy. Uh, people look at uh, people like uh, Iranian and I and think, oh, they are right. It's easy for them. And they're quite often surprised when I tell them that, There's a a whole different level of battles that you have to fight when you get to this level. Um, So there are battles at every stage, uh, but you have to keep pushing yourself. Don't take things personal. You know, be clear about where you want to go and choose how you engage with the world. But do that knowing who you are uh, and know what you're capable of doing uh, and continue to invest in yourself um, so that you're as competitive as they can. Thank
2: you. Thank you. And that's so interesting, echoing what Irene was saying earlier in a slightly different context, but about how changes that you've made within the bank, about having a plan, you know, decide what you want to achieve and then have a plan for get there, for getting there and draw in your allies um, to do it. So um really really thoughtful advice there. Thank you. Um you mentioned there, Elsie, that, you know, life isn't simple once you get to the top. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you about some of the other challenges that we're facing now and, and other women are facing now and what we can do about them. Again, we, so we've had some um, some questions here that are reflecting on the um, the potential for there to be a digital gap for women um, and the danger that, um, and Irene was, was touching on this earlier, that as we move into this digital era, women get left behind and the question that um, Julia has asked us is about it, what what responsibility do we have as supervisors to, to to ensure that banks and other institutions kind of bring women with them into the digital age is that something that we we see as part of our role how might we go about that so again just to give you a really small and and easy problem to address Elsie That's actually a big
3: problem because, you know, the the research will tell you that, first of all, women are less likely to have access to uh, a mobile phone with internet connectivity compared to a man. So there's already a gender gap in access to finance. And then you also have a uh, a further gap as you look at the, you know, uh, the whole ecosystem for, uh, for for these more innovative types of financial services. Um, so the idea is how do we get more phones to more women in every corner and in areas where they don't even have basic uh, internet connectivity or don't have energy, it, you know, they're not on the national grid. So they cannot even charge a phone if they had a phone, you know, so those are very practical questions. And then also the fact that, women tend, um, they were already dealing with a financial literacy problem, uh, but then you do have a a digital literacy problem. Uh, I was reading some numbers from the GSMA a few days ago that said, uh, women are usually less likely wanting to learn how to use a new tool on their phone compared to men, (laughs) and so with all of these new apps, and new uh, technology-driven services and products. How are we going to get women to also understand how to use these products? Um, And so what what do we do um, as supervisors? We need to continue the engagement with with the banks and fintechs and all these in the ecosystem. The product regulation angle is a very strong angle to come from, Mm -hmm. very, very practically. We, we have to approve of new products and services right, coming from banks in partnership with fintechs. And that is always a good place for you to start. How is this going to address these already existing gaps? And what efforts are you going to make as a service provider to address these gaps so we can achieve some equity? Um, and so that kind of conversation is helpful. We ourselves, as a regulatory authority, also have a financial literacy program. Um, and so we need, and then our, our market conduct uh, supervision, uh, which also mm-hmm. uh, promotes consumer protection and transparency in pricing and making sure that customers are treated right. All of these are opportunities that already exist. We just have to have a, a more of a gender cap on to ensure that we're not just blind uh, as to the. Peculiar needs of women uh, in these yeah. areas. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll add those. And, and let me just say one point. I see a point, a question about the IFC doing a lot to promote gender equity. Uh, I failed to mention the IFC as one of the international organizations helping. They're doing a tremendous work. They were, for example, involved in helping us design our sustainable banking principles that uh, explicitly names gender equity as a principle that banks would would, uh, would apply and, and many other things they've done for us, including in setting up our collateral registry, in setting up our, our credit bureau system. And so they've been quite consistent over the years in supporting us and I, I needed to have mentioned them. Uh, it's hard to mention everyone, but the IFC certainly deserves mention. And so uh, I'll stop there. Thank you.
2: Thank you. So again, again, huge amount of thought, food for thought. I, I don't know, Irani. Is there anything that, on the the kind of digital context, that you'd like to add from the uh, from the Mexican perspective in terms of the roles that our, our authorities can play of supporting uh, supporting women to make progress here? Oh yes, of course. Uh, I think in in
1: Mex, Me- the Central Bank of Mexico is at the same time. The, the unique central bank, but it's also an advisor to the federal government. Mm. So it is our duty also to, to bring a heads up to the federal government, where we see there are some conditions, structural issues that are on their side that could benefit for the sound development of the financial sector. So. Maintaining a very open, clear, and transparent dialogue on all of these uh, intersection of of um, responsibilities, I think that's very important. And and we also have to to talk uh, very widely with a with the federal government on these um, bigger picture mm-hmm. issues. And then uh, on the other hand, I think one of the um, very good tools for promoting also this uh, connectivity and digital inclusion is uh, the framework of ESG. Uh, So I think uh, that uh, we can also uh, be a very important player in promoting ESG principles so that um, they they can assure that all of these also digital inclusion might sometimes not be as good as we think. So once we uh, uh, put the filter of ESG criteria, then we will have the assurance that they are going to, to comply and, and to really benefit uh, for the good of, of, of uh, women, but also of, of other underserved uh, groups of, the, of society.
2: Thank you. So we are, we are nearly at the... Sorry, go ahead, Elsie.
1: Jennifer,
3: just, just something quickly uh, to support what she said. So mm-hmm. central banks or regulators typically have very uh, limited mandates, and, and much as we might want to push the boundaries of those mandates as much as we can, and we mm-hmm. should, um, we often have to engage other stakeholders. But I think we also have a lot of convening power, uh, which we need to always keep in mind and use to the maximum and bringing together other stakeholders. and. What I keep saying is that in Ghana, we have a gender ministry. Uh, We have many other ministries, you know, that have something to do with this, the communications ministry and all of that. They don't necessarily look at things with a gender inclusive finance Mm -hmm. standpoint, and Mm -hmm. so it is our duty then to convene, uh, you know, fora and and bring to bear our unique perspectives that help everyone work together towards the same Goals. Because sometimes they're working very hard in their own places, but you know the, the outcomes are, are counterproductive, you know, because because we're not drawing attention to all of the various aspects that we need to draw attention to.
2: Thanks. So that's a great note I think for us to finish on it echoes a comment that we've had in the chat um, that we can rise by lifting each other working with our stakeholders um, to achieve some improvements in this area. We've reached the end of our session, and I hope that whether you're a supervisor or an ally, you feel empowered to take your own next steps in breaking the bias in finance. Thank you to our esteemed panellists, our interpreters, and our audience for attending and submitting such thoughtful questions. Toronto Centre would like to thank our founders and funders for their support and wish you all a very good day.